0: Our scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, servants obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. So let me start us off with uh, with a word of prayer. And then we're going to jump into our passage. Uh, Father, we thank you for the opportunity that uh, you give us this morning to look at this passage, which has got some, uh, some, some teaching that is right up many of our alleys. As, as parents with young children, we're always eager for the next uh, little bit of wisdom that we can get when it comes to raising our children Uh, and then right on the heels of that is this passage that makes us scratch our heads and say what on earth is paul talking about and so as we navigate these two passages together uh, we ask that you would please help us Uh, we need your help we need to hear what you have to say to us this morning and so we we ask that you would come through your holy spirit and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the gospel, let me define that word. We like to throw that word around a lot. Let me define the word, the word, all right? The gospel is the good news of what God has done and is doing through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We can unpack it in some other ways, but that's, when I say the gospel, I'm talking about the implications of that good news. Now, it's easy for us, I'm sure none of you uh, who are followers of Jesus Christ would fall into this category, but it's easy for some of us to, to take this Christianity thing and we kind of shelve it as the Sunday morning bit of our week. And uh, Maybe throughout the course of the week, maybe on a couple of mornings or a couple of evenings, we open up our Bible, we read, we have uh, what uh, is commonly referred to as devotional time or something like that. And, and that's all great. That's, that's good. We, we need to be doing those things. But it, it's hard for us at times to go, okay, what is the connection between what we're doing right now, worship, and what I'm going to be doing tomorrow morning when I clock into my job, when I get to school, when I get to whatever occupation uh, will occupy my time the rest of the week. And so Paul, what he is doing here is that he is... He is reminding us that the gospel, this good news, has implications for the way you live your life. What he's reminding us is that, that starting in the second half of the book, he's, he's beginning to lay out for us the tracks on which your life is supposed to run, right? We, we, many of us, who, especially those of us who live in Boston, we, we rely on the trains. I heard I was out of town and I heard that one of the Green Line tracks, something happened last week when I was out of town and that the train was completely shut down for part of the day. I'm so glad I wasn't in town for that. Uh, and, and because trains need tracks in order to function well. Our lives need tracks. And what Paul is doing in the second half of Ephesians is he is telling us, hey, these are the tracks on which your life needs to run. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. That's how Paul begins the second half of of Ephesians. And then he begins to lay out, okay, what, what are some of the implications? What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of this call, worthy of the gospel? So he says, walk in love, walk in wisdom, walk in the light. Now I'm not going to unpack all of those things because that's what we have been uh, talking about over the course of this sermon series in Ephesians that all of our congregations have been in. But what Paul is now doing is he's, he's shifting gears and he's saying, all right, so you've got these, these applications, this way you're supposed to walk, this way you're supposed to live your life. Now, let's apply these truths into some of the basic institutions of life. Let's apply these truths to your marriages. Let's apply these truths to your parenting. And let's apply these truths to the relationship that people in authority and under authority have to one another. Now, the reality is that 99 times out of 100, when we get to Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, there is at least one sermon on Ephesians 6, 1 to 5, the parenting. Sometimes multiple sermons on the parenting section. And then there's one, maybe two sermons on the slave master section. Uh, I was assigned to do all of it. Uh, And so what uh, what that means is that I have to be brief, and what it means is that I've got to help us maybe get a little bit higher up than we would normally look. And I think we're gonna be able to do that, and I think it will be helpful. Obviously, we're not gonna get into the detail that uh, we would if we were spending three weeks on parenting but I hope that we'll be able to have this be something that is very practical, even in its brevity. Now, uh, we can't escape uh, one, of the, one of the big elephants in the room. What is Paul talking about when he's talking about bond servants or slaves, as some translations of the Bible will put it? So the first thing that we need to do is we just need to tackle that. We need to get that uh, and address it so that we're able to then have some a beneficial uh, meditation or a or, or reflection on the, on the whole passage. So the first thing that we're going to what on earth is Paul talking about slaves here for? We're bond servants. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at what it means to be people under authority. And then the last thing that we're going to do is what does it look like to be in authority? And the premise of all that we're going to be talking about this morning is this that Christians, whether they are in authority, in positions of authority, or under positions of authority, are ultimately under the authority of Jesus. That Christians, whether they are in positions of authority or under somebody else's authority, are ultimately under the authority of Jesus, and that there are significant implications for that. All right, so the first thing we've got to do. What's with the slave thing? So what Paul is doing here is the reason that this is even coming up, the reason that this is even a, a thing in the book right now, is that Paul is addressing what was known as the household codes. This was very common in the Greco-Roman world where philosophers uh, you know, would, would sit down and they would say, hey, this is how you live in the economy of a house. So you, you remember that some homes, especially larger homes, you would have the head of the family. Uh, the Latin word for that was the pater familias, the head of the house. And so the head of the house had responsibility for the well being of everybody that was a part of the household, he had responsibility for the economy of the home. And the relationships that existed within the economy of the home, within the household, were husband and wife, parent and child, and master and slave, especially in larger homes. And so Paul here is addressing something that other philosophers were addressing. But what he's doing is he's addressing it, and he's giving it a distinctively Christian perspective. He's saying, look, the other philosophers are doing this. We need to address it as well. And as we address this, Understand that this is how a Christian understands the dynamics of what's happening in the economy of the home. Now, as he's addressing that, a couple of things. So it's very difficult for us. It's very difficult for us to, to separate from our thinking. When we hear the word slave, we immediately think of what? Sorry, you can talk to me. I like talking. It's, this is going to be a back and forth. What do we all even think about? Think about slavery in North America. We think about the transatlantic slave trade uh, with North America. Right? We can't escape thinking about that. So it's important for us to, to stop and say, okay, in what ways was slavery in the ancient world different? And in what ways was it the same? We're gonna do that real quickly, very, very quickly. So the first thing is that slavery in the ancient world was not based on race. It wasn't simply you are of this particular race and I am of this particular race and therefore because you're of that race, you automatically, I automatically have the authority to make you my slave. That's not how it worked. Uh, Mostly when slavery happened, it was one of two reasons. It was either because you, for some reason, became indebted to the master or it was because your country lost a war and you became enslaved by virtue of the fact that you lost a war. And so slavery wasn't based solely on race. It also wasn't based on kidnapping, as I said. Uh, It was based on either that you were... your country lost a war or that you were indentured, uh, became an indentured servant in some way. And certainly in Israel, slavery was never meant to be a permanent institution. Uh, the entire calendar of Israel revolved around this idea of every seven years, there'd be rest. And every 50 years, there would be a complete uh, uh, resetting of everything. And so for Israel, for Israel as a nation, the idea of slavery being a permanent institution was absolutely unheard of. In the Greco-Roman world, the world in which Paul was living, there were instances in which slaves were uh, not, um, not expected to be bond, bonded for life. There were instances in which they were bonded for life. So those are some helpful caveats for us to understand uh, Now, with those things said, we don't want to for a second say or presume that uh, there wasn't great injustice and evil in slavery in the Greco-Roman world. There was. There was great injustice and great evil in the Greco-Roman world of slavery. Uh, and, And it is into this world into which Paul is speaking. Now, here's the thing that as one of, the, one of the problems that we face when we come to these passages in the New Testament where the issue of slavery comes up is that we don't see a really clear call for the end of that institution. Uh, and that is problematic for us, right? Because, because we, looking back, we're going to say, why didn't you simply say, stop it? This is madness. Stop And we don't see that, but here's what we do see. What we do see is that already in the teaching of Paul, the seeds were being planted for the end of slavery. Uh, So I'm from Florida, I grew up in, in, in Southeast Florida and the thing with Southeast Florida is that things grow. And so if you try to do any kind of gardening or anything like that, you just stick it in the ground and if it's raining, it's gonna grow. But that also means that weeds grow and weeds are your enemy. And so when I, when I lived in Florida and when I had a garden back in the day, uh, we, would, we would always be fighting weeds. Well, there's this one magical thing, it's a spray that you could spray on your plants, but the thing is it's so potent, it's so potent, so powerful, that if, it, if even a drop of that spray gets on your good plant, the plant is dead, all right? And what this pesticide, is it a pesticide or an herbicide? either one of it it's a side, it kills, right? So the second it touches the leaf of the plant, it begins to work its way into the plant, all the plant, all the way down to the roots. Because here's the thing about weeds, if you don't pluck it out by the root, it's just gonna come right back. It's just a matter of time. So it would go all the way down to the roots and then the thing would wilt and die. I'll submit to you that in this passage, in, in Colossians, in Philemon, that as Paul is beginning to address the relationship of slaves and masters, that what he is in fact doing is he is putting a, a pesticide on the institution of slavery. That what he is doing is he is reframing the institution in such a way that, there's no, uh, that it was impossible for it to continue long-term. Just this past week, I was uh, listening to one of the other pastors in the network knew that I was preaching on this passage, and he said, "Hey, listen to this, listen to this uh, sermon, this homily." Uh, is just a short message, that uh, Tim Kelly, who's a pastor in our denomination, I'm sure many of you know his name, gave at uh, the, the prayer breakfast of Parliament in the UK. And, and he makes reference to this. I didn't know this, but I did some research on it, and sure enough, it's true, uh, and it's really fascinating. The earliest record we have of anybody advocating for abolition, the end of slavery, was a pastor in 370-ish A.D., pastor by the name of Gregory in the town of Nyssa. He was the the bishop of the town of Nyssa. And this is what he writes. He says, you condemned a person to slavery whose nature is free and independent. And in doing so, you lay down a law in opposition to God, overturning the natural law established by him. He says, you subject to the yoke of slavery one who was created to be master of the earth. So what I submit to you is that even as Paul is teaching here, he's already beginning to work at the end of that particular institution. Now there's a lot more I wish I could say, but, but again, remember what I, I started off by saying, I, I have to be brief, we have a baptism. Uh, so I especially have to be brief because we wanna make sure that we have time for the baptism. So just, again, recapping, um, it's, it, there's some similarity with the institution of slavery that we are most familiar with, but there are some significant differences. And what we clearly see is that Paul is already beginning with his teaching to to spray it with the killer, the killing agent that will eventually lead to uh, to its end. All right, so then how do we then talk about those who are under authority. What, what is it that Paul is trying to say? And remember, we're looking at the principle, and then we'll apply it into the spheres of parenting and of, um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. All right, so, so here's what we see. When you are under authority of somebody else, you have a choice. You can, you can submit yourself to that authority, or you cannot submit yourself to that authority. You have a choice on what to do. And what Paul is saying here is that those of us who are Christians, those of us who have first submitted ourselves to Christ, to Jesus, that we are to submit ourselves to proper authority in our lives. And so, what does that look like? Let's unpack this. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right honor your Father and your mother. Alright, so so here's what Paul's doing. He's, he's giving application, children obey your parents. He's giving the principle, honor your father and mother. The principle is drawn from the Ten Commandments that were given in the Old Testament. So what he's doing is he's he's pointing to the Ten Commandments and he's saying Alright in the context of the economy of the household in the context of there being one person who is responsible for the overall well-being of the household, in that setting, children who are a part of that household have a responsibility to honor their father and mother. And one way that we're applying that is obey. All right? So your mom and dad tell you to do something, do it. Listen to them. Obey them, right? Because they have your best interest at heart. He's going to unpack that in the next part where we look at what the authority, how parents are supposed to use their authority. Parents are supposed to use their authority for the good of their children. And so therefore children are encouraged to obey their parents instruction because their parents instruction is set up for their well-being, right? Now, I don't know about you. So, you know, there's lots of little kids here, which is awesome, right? So, so some of us listen to this and we're thinking, yeah, mom and dad, right, that's my responsibility as mom or dad, is for me to help my children understand good, uh, what's right and wrong and things like that. That's great. It's important. Uh, What I love to do with this passage is I love to remind us all that we all have parents. (laughs) Uh, So what does it look like for us as adults to honor our father and mother, to honor the authority that they still have over us, in a sense. Because there are moms and dads. Now, my mom and dad live in Miami. They live very far away. And I would imagine that many of us have family members, parents that live very far away, too. So, in the way that little kids are to... um, children that are home are called to obey, children who are out of the home... One way or a few ways that we can express our honor, submission to their authority is to, is to pray for our parents. To be respectful in the way we speak to them and about them. To show them forbearance. I mean, come on, whose parents doesn't do things? Every parent does things that drive you crazy, right? You, you go back home and you're like, Ugh. Honoring them, showing forbearance. Showing forgiveness, being kind in the way you speak about them. These are some of the ways in which we can, we can then begin to work out as people under authority, ultimately under the authority of Jesus, the way we respond. All right, now, what about what about this whole master-slave thing? So, so the reality is that we as, we, as we begin to move into this particular side of the conversation, that... With, and again, keep in mind everything that I said before, that what we normally do at this point, uh, and there's a long tradition, is that we recognize listen, we don't, we don't have, we don't function in slavery the way that slavery is being talked about here. And yet, because there are principles that are being espoused for us, the question for us is how do we take these truths that Paul is applying into a particular situation? And how do we apply those truths into contexts in our life that make sense? And so what, what happens, what we do, is we make an application towards our, our vocations, towards our work, the places in which we spend most of our time. In fact, one preacher, a guy by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, who's had a tremendous influence in my life through his writings, um, he said this. He writes, what the Apostle Paul is concerned about is the behavior, the conduct, The reaction of Christian people who are in any position of subservience to others. Uh, And so what does it look like for us to be people, Christians who are under authority in the spheres of life? And that could be your student uh, and you're under the authority of a teacher or professor. That could be you are an employee and you are under the authority of your manager or your boss. You could be at the top of the pecking order and you're under the authority of your investors or your board. Uh, that could be that you're a volunteer at the church and you're under the authority of whoever the volunteer coordinator is, right? It, it goes in a variety of different ways. And here's what Paul says, first verse five. He says, uh, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And what does he mean when he says fear and trembling towards your, uh, when he says, how does he, let's, let's read it again. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. I would submit to you that I think what Paul is doing is this. I think Paul, Scripture tells us very clearly, you are not to fear man. Fear of man is not the Christian way, but fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is. And so what I would submit to you is that what Paul is doing is, is he's weaving this together is he's saying that out of our fear for Christ, out of the fact that we are under the authority of Christ, that we are to show reverence, respect, to those who are in authority over us. Secondly, we are to work hard. Listen to what he says. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ. When I was in high school, I worked at an IHOP uh, on Sunday mornings. I was a dishwasher on Saturdays and Sundays. I wasn't going to church at the time. It was a long time ago. Um, And and the way that the the kitchen was set up was that if you were one of the guys that was emptying the busing trays... You could look out and you could see when the boss was coming. So, you know what that meant is that we would goof off until boss, boss man was coming, and the second boss man was coming, everybody's you know, hardly talking, working really, really hard. That's exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying we should do, right? What Paul is saying is that we don't just work when we're being watched, but that we work diligently, that we put effort in, that we do things the way that God, in a way that honors God, because ultimately we're working for Him. And then finally, he says, we work wholeheartedly. Uh, he says, not doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So you might be here and you might be thinking, that's really easy for you to say. You probably like your job. I hate my job. I see some smiles, so I think I just struck a nerve. I want to remind you that Paul's talking to slaves. I'm pretty sure that job satisfaction in slavery is pretty low. And yet Paul is able to say, if you are a Christian, you work in such a way that you recognize that ultimately you are working for the Lord, that what you're doing is for the Lord. Now, this is, I know this is hard. I know this is hard because some of us are in jobs that are, where, that are grinding us to the ground. And I do want to say, and I'll be very clear about this, I am not at all suggesting, and Scripture would never suggest, that we should submit ourselves to abusive authority. The premise of this is that you have people in authority who are seeking the good of those under the authority, and that you have people under the authority that are seeking the good of those in authority. That's that's the kind of dynamic that Paul is presenting to us. So if you're here today and you are in any relationship where the person in authority over you is abusive towards you, that's not the kind of authority you submit to. I'll say that really clearly. Do not submit to authority that is seeking to destroy you. If that means getting another job, get another job. If that means calling the cops on your abusive spouse, call the cops on your abusive spouse. Whatever that looks like. Now, why do we do this? Because of Jesus. Jesus submitted himself to the authority of his Father. In the garden, Jesus said, Not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus is the model to us of what this means. You see, the story of the Bible, the the, the good news is that way back at the beginning of time, when God made man and woman, when he created them, he clearly said, I'm your authority. And as your authority, go, have fun, work, be fruitful, multiply. But don't don't eat that tree. Don't eat the fruit of that particular tree. That's off limits. And Adam and Eve said, thanks, but no thanks. And they took the tree. They ate. They, they rejected his authority. And ever since that day, mankind has been rejecting authority in their life. And, and just think about this. You know, it's a very interesting. As I've been reflecting on this, this is, a, this is an integral part of what it means to be an American. Our whole premise as a nation was we are rejecting the authority of the crown. And I, and I think that that thread still runs through who we are as Americans. So we're prone, we're hardwired. Patriotism is, yes, submit to authority until you don't like it, and then revolt. And what, what Jesus is saying is, I submitted myself to authority, and I became obedient. Paul says in Philippians 2, that Jesus became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Jesus submitted himself under the authority of the Father to such a degree that he died in order to free you, that he died in order to save you from your sin. Jesus is the model, but Jesus isn't just the model. He's the one that says, follow me, because I will give you the ability to do this. All right, so what about those who are in authority? you have a choice as well. If you are in a position of authority, you have a choice as well. Will you treat the people under your authority as tools for your own gain? Or will you treat the people under your authority in a way that seeks to serve them and bless them? There's a story about this, actually. It's in the Gospels. There's a story where Jesus is, it's found in Mark 10, where Jesus is walking with his disciples. It's the third time, as Jesus has been instructing his disciples, it's the third time that he begins to recount for them what's going to happen, that he's going to die, that he's going to be crucified. So Jesus finishes telling them this, and then James and John, two of Jesus' closest friends, think, hey, I know, I've got a good idea. This is the perfect time to ask Jesus a question. Jesus... Um, when you come into your kingdom, when, when you've got all the power, right? when you've consolidated all the power, would you do us a favor? Would you, would you please allow us to sit at your right hand and your left hand? Jesus, when you're king, can we be your prime minister and your chief of staff? And Jesus says, listen, guys. He's like, I know that you see the way the Gentiles use authority. And let me unpack what he means. Like, I know you see how Herod uses authority. I know how you, that you see how Pilate uses his authority. You see these guys who have power and prestige and prominence, and you see how they use it. That's not how we roll. That's not how we do things in the kingdom of God. In fact, in fact if you really want prominence, if you really want prestige, then what you actually have to do is you have to become a servant. You have to make yourself last. You have to take the authority that's been given you and you have to use it in such a way that you serve the people around you. And just at that point, right, just as he's finishing teaching his disciples about this upside down view of authority, he closes with this statement. For the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. For the Son of Man, and here's the thing, you've got to understand, Son of Man is a title that is super, 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 super loaded with theological meaning. He says, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's out of that that Paul is now taking this concept from Jesus and he's unpacking it for the masters and saying, all right, you have authority. Use that authority in a way that is a blessing and a benefit to the people who are underneath you. The very fact, the very fact that Paul is even addressing slaves in this conversation was indicative of the fact that, that Paul was giving them uh, dignity that they wouldn't have had in another setting. He's addressing them, and he's addressing them as equals. Paul, when he writes to, uh, in the letter to Philemon, he writes to Philemon, and he says, all right, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Now, here's the thing. Onesimus had been a servant, had been a slave. He says, I'm sending Onesimus back to you, but here's the catch. Take him back. In other words, don't beat him from running away from you. Take him back as your brother. Take him back. But the way you're going to take him back, it's a fundamentally different relationship. Do you begin to see that's the spray that that is beginning to erode at this institution? All right, so what does that look like? How does it actually make itself work out? For, um, For parents... It means that we strike a balance between instruction and discipline, right? It, and, and these are the two words that Paul uses in our passage. He talks about instruction and a discipline. So here's the thing. If we just do instruction and we don't do discipline, then we, we end up frustrating our children because we end up, uh, what ends up happening is we teach our kids that they have to understand every single thing perfectly before they obey. That's not life. Right? If we over discipline and we don't instruct, we teach our kids all that matters is your appearance. All that matters is what's on the outside. Your heart doesn't really matter. But when we strike that balance, what we teach our children is that there are truths that we believe that are foundational. And there are consequences when we don't follow those things. In fact, uh, one of the well, parenting books, it's, it's a fairly well-known parenting book. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've read it. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, the, the author makes this really wonderful point. He says, submission to an earthly authority is a specific application of being under the authority of a creator. And then he goes on to say, look, it's telling your kid you need to submit yourself to God. Kids, my, my 10-year-old is... He'll tell me he gets that. He doesn't get that. Right? But telling him that he needs to listen to me and that there's reasons why he needs to listen, that he begins to understand. And that's the point. We begin to teach our children, listen to our authority, because it's teaching you the importance of listening to God's authority. And then for, uh, for those who have authority in other spheres of life. Here's an application for you. How can you go into tomorrow to serve the people under your authority right how can you go into this week so maybe you are uh, maybe you're a, a professor a teacher and you've got some you've know, got summer classes right now maybe you're leading a camp maybe you are uh, maybe you're a manager and you've got a team working under you maybe you're the CEO of a company right i don't know maybe you're a pastor Maybe you're a volunteer coordinator at the church. How can can we go into this week and say, how am I going to serve the people under my authority? And not just once because the, the guest preacher made me feel guilty, right? But how can I do it in such a way that it actually begins to change the way that I live my life. Here's the reality. And I know this because, look, I've had people under my authority at various stages of my life. It's really easy. It's really tempting, right? When you're in authority to use people to promote yourself, right? I, I see enough nodding heads that I'm striking. Good, this is good, right? It's really easy to do. It's not hard at all. And it's really easy to justify. And Paul is coming back and saying, That's not the way it should be. So we look at Jesus, and we remember what he said. The premise that I started off with. Christians, people who have come to follow Jesus Christ, look to him and they say he submitted himself to God. He put himself under the authority of the Father in order to die on the cross for my sins. And yet at the same time, there's this weird tension because in another place, Jesus says, nobody takes my life. I give it up of my own accord. And so here's the tension that Jesus is a model to those of us who are under authority of what it means to submit for the good of others. And yet he is also a model for us of what it means to be in authority and to use that authority for the good of others. But he isn't just a model He's also the means of making that possible because ingrained in our hearts is is an aversion to authority. And Jesus comes in and says, I can heal you of that because being under the authority of God is for your ultimate good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please help us as uh, as we sit with this teaching, which is hard because we want to be our own people. We want to be our own men. We want to be our own women. And then it's further complicated, Lord, because we admit that, um, that the aspect of slavery just it, it muddies the water for us in so many real ways. So, Lord, we ask that you would please help us, first and foremost, to see that we need to be under your authority. And if we're here today and that's not the case, Lord, that we would, that we would bend our knee, that we would submit ourselves to your authority first and then begin to work out what it means to submit ourselves to those who are in authority over us and to lead those who are under our authority in a way that is ultimately for the good of all. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.